Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, and also your host. A quick shout out, Mazel Tov, to Shayla Antelis on her wedding last week. It was so fun to be there and see her on her big day. Also, super fun seeing some of our guests from The Francisca Show, Nechama Kohn, Mary Mulea and some future guests. And here's the show. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have with us Michelle Penn, dancer, teacher, and entrepreneur, currently living in Silver Spring. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. I feel like we have themes on the show. We have a bunch of singers in a row, vocalists. We just released Rifka Nahari. The fields, they stagger together somehow. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's get started. Tell us where it all began for you. Where did you grow up? How did you discover your passion and love for the arts? Yeah. Sure. So first off, thank you so much for having me. This is such a wonderful opportunity and I love sharing my story and I do it all the time. And so this is a really fun, exciting new avenue in which to share a bit about myself and hopefully inspire someone out there to follow their dreams and use their cojos to better the world. I started my dance life when I was three years old. My mother put me in dance class amongst with everything else, gymnastics, swimming, diving, piano. They really gave me every single opportunity. And dance kind of stuck it out through the whole, my whole childhood. I was into other things as well. I became very good at springboard diving. And that was like the competing interest for a long time. But then I was drawn to the, the art of the dance rather than the like sport of the diving. So I kind of moved in that direction and became more serious, joined a ballet company in my middle school and high school days. And that was a very special, such fond memories of like dancing. Was that uh, soloist roles and principal roles at, in Fort Lauderdale? Yeah. Was that in addition to school or Right. So yeah, so this was all after school. I was doing a, um, uh, like I was in regular, like, you know, nine to three um, PM school. And then after school, I would go home I'd ha have uh, some homework. I do, I'd have a snack and then I would go to dance for the next, you know, hour and a half, two hours of the day. My whole Saturday, my whole Sunday, we're all in rehearsals when we are working on a performance. It was very all-encompassing, and I took it very seriously. That's where, like, my friends came from. It's where I really developed myself and my identity as a person and as a dancer. Wow. You know, my daughter is two years old, so I'm thinking I, maybe I should start signing her up for things next year <laughs> because it seems like the trend is for everyone to start at three. <laughs> so was it your... Were you dancing already on your own that your mother put you into a dance program at three or was this just her looking for extracurricular activities for you? And that was, a yeah, perfect I think she was just giving us, uh, trying to give us every opportunity she could think of because she didn't know what would stick. She introduced us to piano and I really didn't like it, but she was like, I know you'll really, really appreciate it and be <laughs> so grateful to me when you're older and you can just sit down and play. But I really didn't like it. And I, and I remember that she would like force me to go to, to piano 
but like going to like dance was super easy. And like, I loved going and my mom relates that she was sitting in the waiting room at dance class and she was talking to another mother. And the other mother said how she was like making her kids do dance because she knew she'd really appreciate when she grew older that she would know, have these skills. And my mom was thinking, Oh, that's so mean. Like, I can't believe like she would like force her daughter to go to dance. I, my daughter loves going to dance. She can't wait to come to dance class. She would do it every day. And then she's like, wow, that's what I'm doing to her with piano. (laughs) And so she let me quit piano. So I would have more time to dance. And as I often tell my students and my parents of students, oftentimes a child finds out that dance is not their thing and they don't really like it so much. And I say, that's totally fine. It's more than fine. It's great. Now go find what is your thing. So I really strongly believe that every student, every kid out there has their thing and it helps them so much in their life when they discover it early on so that they can cultivate it and they can, it can help build themselves and build their sense of self, self-worth and self-esteem it's really an important aspect. And it might not be an art. It might be a sport. It might be they're really good at chesed. It might be they're really good at math and can help other people do their math homework. There's such a range, but I really strongly believe everyone has a skill or a area that's their specialty. Yes. And it's such a blessing when mothers try out a few things and encourage and pay for these for these mm-hmm. opportunities for their children to find what they're good at, what they do love. Because, mm-hmm. you know, life gets intense when you grow up and you realize it's not so fun. So if there's an <laughs> outlet, <laughs> it could be. But I'm saying responsibilities in the from world, at least they start at a very young age, responsible life. You don't get to just spend your 20s figuring out who you are. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it's nice to have that creative outlet mm-hmm, or absolutely. learning your expression at a young age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So going from Saturdays in uh, a dance company to becoming a from dance school owner, there <laughs> must have been a few steps along the way that took you <laughs> on this journey. Uh-huh. Just a few. <laughs> After I graduated from high school, I went to Northwestern University in Chicago where I became a dance major and a psychology major. And I was Jewish and I would go to services, but it wasn't until I was introduced closer to my senior year on a Moor Israel trip. And side note that I often tell my story, like my becoming from story to seminaries and schools and conventions. People who have heard my story know that there are a lot of intermediary steps that I'm kind of skipping over because we don't have, you know, an hour and a half to talk about it. But the, the short version is that when I got introduced to it in my senior year on a Moor Israel trip, I kind of had to make a very, I would say quasi life for myself in my senior year, because I had had a life that didn't include Shabbos, that didn't include kosher, that didn't include any of this from lifestyle. And all of a sudden I was trying to create that world for myself. It was very challenging. I kind of like worked with a rabbi so that I would be able to 
keep Shabbos but still perform so I could be a part of the the different performance groups that I was already a part of. And in that senior year, it was it was very confusing, but I really I grew so much. And it was in that year where I really figured that instead of going to either work in the real world or go dance with a company, that I really needed to figure out this Jewish element first before I could go and figure out what my other path would be. So that's when, after I graduated from Northwestern, I went to Neve Yerushalayim, and I learned there for a year, and that's when I met my husband, and we got married the following June. We spent another year in Israel, where I created a dance company there with some of the Neve students, and we danced probably in front of about 2,000 women over the course of two, the two and a half years. Very, very special opportunities that came up and to connect with people there. And then we moved back to the U.S. We moved to Silver Spring, Maryland. My husband had a job in D.C. And I found some dance classes like in the D.C. area that I could take to keep up my skills. And my son was born that December. And I kind of had been hearing in the neighborhood that from several people who found out that I was a dancer that, wow, we would really love dance classes for our daughter or my daughter loves to dance. I wish we had a place for her to dance here. Would you consider starting classes? And at first I was not really so interested in it because I had never taught before. I had always been the dancer or been taking class or even the choreographer, but never had I really taught. But the more I spoke with people here, the more I realized there was a real need for girls to have an outlet that was kosher, but fun and related to movement. So I decided that I needed to open a class. I couldn't just open one class because there were so many different ages of kids that were asking me and some wanted ballet and some wanted jazz. And so I decided, okay, well, maybe I'll open another class and then another class and another class. Before I knew it, I had five classes and I found a space to rent at an hourly rate. And my husband was like, wait, 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 you can't just like run dance classes. You need like a tax ID, tax ID number. You, You have a real business here. My husband actually was the one who came up with the name Lazu's Dance. I was going to call it something. I think you had Rifka Nahari on the um, show. She was an incredible, still is an incredible mentor to me in helping me build this program. She answered hundreds and hundreds of questions I had as I started up. And still to this day, she's an amazing resource. And I was going to call it something like she called it. She called it the Brooklyn Dance, Jewish Dance Place. I was going to call it like Summer Spring Jewish Dance Center. And I was like, no, that you need something. You need something like Poppy. He was the one who came up with the name. And I think the need for the program is most clearly evident in the fact that the first session, when people really didn't know me, I had just moved here a year or two before, they had 45 girls sign up. There were 45 girls that signed up for these five classes without knowing anything about what I was trying to do. And I think that it was really telling and really special. Obviously, from now, like we have many more students than that, and the program has developed an, a name for itself. But I think that's what was really telling. The, the first out of the gate, we had 45 girls show up. Wow. So I have a few questions here. Number sure. one, what was the experience like? Was it different? I, I know the cultures are different, even though they're both Orthodox Jewish communities, but was how was it different? creating a program in Israel versus the States? So in Israel, I was really creating a dance company 
And we were performing for different shows, different venues. It's actually pretty crazy how that started when I was a student there before I was married, a student at Neve, and they were having a Hanukkah Hagiga. And there was another girl at Neve who also had been a dance major at uh, UC Santa Barbara. And she and I found each other and just loved working together. So we decided to create like a fun dance to the Maccabees for this Hanukkah Hagiga for all the Neve girls. And it, we brought on three other girls who also had dance experience from Neve to do this, like, really just, like, fun, like, pleasurable dance. And we did it for the Neve girls, and it was, like, everyone loved it. They were, like, shouting. They, they, we had to do it again. <laughs> it got such high acclaim that the administration of Neve heard about it. Supposedly, Neve does a big Hanukkah Hagiga for the entire Harnof community in the big social hall. And they say a thousand women are there. They pack it all the way to the back. And they decide that they want to ask us to do the dance at that event. But they said we couldn't use the Maccabees song for whatever reason. And me being an artist right out of college was like, I'm sorry, we choreographed this dance to this song and you can't just like take one but not the other. It comes as a package. And they're like, oh, really sorry. Is there any way you can find a different song? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, the sorry, that doesn't work. Um, for instance, you as an artist for sure understand that you can't like just like separate. Um, totally. Separate the two. But I had this amazing, amazing Madricha, who if she's listening knows who she is. And she came up to me and she said, Michelle, you are being selfish. Hashem has given you an incredible gift and an ability to develop that gift. And here he is giving you the opportunity to now inspire and impact a thousand people who have never really seen dance at this level with your training before. He's giving you an incredible opportunity and you won't even try. You won't even try to find something. She's like, just try. So I rolled my eyes, but I knew she was right. She was 100% right and it was really hard to admit. So I went and I was like, here goes nothing. And I went online, I did some research and I found a song that was an instrumental version of a secular song. And it completely changed the feel of the choreography, but in a good way. Instead of being like fun and poppy, it became fluid and connected and deeper, just more interesting, more intricate in a way. And I really liked it. And I brought it to the other girls in the group and they really loved it. So we did it for that big Hanukkah Hagiga. We indeed inspired a thousand women. And from there, from that experience, the Neve dance company was born. And then we were getting other jobs and we were getting other performances. And then we choreographed a whole nother piece from the get-go with an instrumental piece that I knew would be okay. Did Neve Neve pay you to perform that first time? No, this was all volunteer because um, the whole event was a fundraiser for the Kala Fund, a really worthwhile organization. Mm-hmm. You were saying right, they so were completely there, two different programs. Yeah, so what I did there was I 
built a dance company that was performing around and spreading the beauty and the joy of movement and like at a high level to the masses, like to all these people. Hopefully we we inspired some people to go take a dance class or to get moving or listen to music and expressing themselves or putting their daughters in dance class. What I'm doing here is running a dance school for Jewish girls. So I'm kind of taking it to that other level of now disseminating skills and through that teaching life skills. So I for sure have created movement opportunities for skilled dancers here. Oftentimes I'll, I'll run a women's class or I'll do a women's performance for adults, but it's a very different entity of what I'm doing here versus what I did there. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because do you miss performing? Do you still dance? I do. I do. I dance all the time. I, I go and take class myself regularly in dance studios around like the DC area. I also always, always, always perform. Even nine months pregnant, I have performed in my own shows because the opportunity to perform and for all women's audiences are so rare and so wonderful and amazing. And I love performing so much. And so I really appreciate every single person who has puts an effort to produce an event that is an opportunity for women to dance for women. Right. It's much harder, I think, and we've talked about this before, I think, on the podcast, how dancers are a lot more limited than vocalists because vocalists can record, they can spread their content in a digital way, and dancers, Mm -hmm. it's all about the in the moment. So, 100%. So opportunities and hearing you say it, I remember you reached out a while back and you wanted to know if I could come and sing live to one of the songs you right. were dancing to. And I remember thinking, driving two and a half hours each way. I just Also, <laughs> I guess if I didn't have the opportunity to record, I right. would probably need to sing live a lot more. Mm-hmm. Right. But having the comfort of recording and knowing that get a professional product at the end that's edited, which if people know me, know I love edited. And then going live is just taking a risk, taking... Right. <laughs> it's, it's such hard work. It's putting yourself out there emotionally. And it's just, if I don't have to do that, I really don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, Call me cop out. Yeah, dance is very different. Dance is very different. It, it is what happens live. And that is what happens. Like, that is the fodder. I don't think I've ever really done... I would love to. I would love the opportunity to do, like, a dance like music video, like something like to that regard. I know like uh, Atara put together that super cool music video with you singing. Like that was like such an amazing, awesome opportunity. I loved it. But like, as you said, the dissemination of it because there were dancers was a, was a problem. It was, it's an issue. So the dance that happens live in the moment in front of other women, that's what captures the tremendous essence of what dance does for the viewer. Right. And and also as the experience of dancing itself, just being a part of your life, you feel amazing after you dance every time. Totally. So I want to get into an issue that I find so interesting. I know music videos, dance music videos for you are not something you do just because you don't know where it's going to go. And you have recorded your dance performances and they're passed around in very exclusive formats. But regarding the dress, I know it's such a sensitive topic, especially when you're dealing with students and their parents. So it's not just something on adult professional level. You're dealing with chinuch, so to speak, with education and modeling, Mm -hmm. role modeling behavior. And 
I can imagine someone who wasn't raised from and seeing dance moves with someone where you could actually see their body is mm-hmm. a whole different experience than seeing it where everything's covered in a flowy and you think you see what's happening, but you're missing half of the technique because mm-hmm. it's so flowy and beautiful and sneeze. So has this bothered you ever in any way or how do you feel about this issue? Yeah, so it's interesting that you ask. I find for myself when I teach that I want to be reaching at, like reaching out and embracing at the firmest, most yeshivish kid in the neighborhood. I want them to come into my class and feel comfortable in whatever that they decide to wear for dance class. So I always dress with a skirt and fully covered. When I teach, I have my teachers who are not Jewish also always stay covered when they teach. And when I go take a dance class out in the world, I also stay all covered when I'm taking the class, even though most of, most of the times the class is all women, because I feel like at any moment, anyone can look in the window or walk in the door. And I want to be a Kedusha Shem at all times. I want to be able to, to walk with confidence that I have put myself in a situation and, and kept and kept and kept even the sensitivities of being an Orthodox Jewish woman in an environment that wouldn't necessarily have me in it. I think that is a Kiddush Hashem that I'm able to do everything that is done in the class with a skirt and maybe sweating more than everyone else because I'm much more covered than they are. But okay, so I sweat a little bit more. Like, that's not such a big deal. I just find that, yes, am I sad the lines are less clear? 100%. But in at this stage, for my students to feel more comfortable, all of my students to feel more comfortable, that's a worthwhile loss for me. That's a, that, that on the scale, that that makes a lot of sense for me. And I've spoken to families before because Silver String is a very diverse community with all Jews from all levels and all backgrounds. And, and people have asked me questions like, why are you dressed this way? Does my daughter have to? I said, your daughter can wear whatever she is comfortable for dance class. I, I don't have a uniform. I don't have expectations or even guidelines. Whatever she is comfortable to move in, that's what she should wear. And there is a whole range. There's an entire range of what girls show up into my dance classes in. But for me, I always want to be, and my teachers, I always want to be modeling that it can be done in the most firm way, in the most yeshivish way. Everyone is welcome to do it at wherever their comfort level is. Mm -hmm. And regarding costumes and performances... Do you feel like the end product does it lack because you're missing so much of the technique because the costumes are so... I know I sound so, I sound so like detailed, but if you look at ballerinas, right, (laughs) you you see every, if you watch figure skating or anything, if you're watching the dance or you're judging the competition, then every single little detail, first of all, the dancers and the performers are working so hard. They train so hard for every element. And if you can't notice half of the detail, I mean, it is about the girls expressing themselves as well. But how do you feel about the end product? I don't know. Maybe you don't feel like it's compromised uh, at don't. the end. So if, if I were to send you one of my like my videos of uh, the performance with my highest level girls who have like been with me now since I started the program five years ago, and their costumes are completely sneeze, but they are radiant. They are beautiful. They are stunning. And you would know that these girls have technique. 
there, there wouldn't be a question like, oh, so I, I can't see like above their knee. So therefore, I don't know if their knee is straight. You know whether their knee is straight and you know whether they're doing it correctly. You just know. And if you're a trained eye, you know. And if you aren't a trained eye, then you wouldn't know what you were seeing in the in the first place. So, and just as a disclaimer, I yeah. I've seen professional non-Jewish performances where everything is covered. They're wearing gowns, dancing gowns, and they are That's extremely funny. professional. I'm just playing right. devil's mm-hmm. advocate. For sure. And I appreciate that. It's a great question. But I'm pointing out that the trained eye would know. No. And the untrained eye would just see the beauty and the magic that is created by gorgeous classical ballet dancers. It's a whole package. It's a whole being. And I don't, I I think there's so little value uncovering from the knee to the hip, like, right. So that's basically what we're talking about because the sleeves aren't going to make a difference and the collarbone is not going to make a difference. So really the only part that we're talking about is from below the knee to the hip bone where you're not necessarily going to see that straight, beautiful line in an arabesque or a developé, but that's such a minute detail of the greater picture of what we're trying to create. I love your answer. It's very positive. It's very magical. It's it's very in the spirit of your messaging in your school. We're very body positive. Like when we talk about how dance is for everyone and that whoever wants to dance can, are some people going to have more of a predisposition to it because they have better turnout, because they have musicality, because they're smaller, whatever it is. Yes, there'll be people who are more predisposed to be better dancers, but I firmly and strongly believe that anyone who wants to dance and wants to develop their skill can develop their skill. And I tell my students, I say, I will show you a video of myself when I was five, six, seven, ten, 12, 13 years old when I look just like all the other kids in that class. All the other kids. We're all dancing. We're all doing the same thing. I look no better than any of the other kids. So why did I come along and become a professional dancer? Because I worked at it. Because I stuck with it and I put the time and the effort, right? The 1,000 hours. I'm sure you're familiar with 1,000 hours, right? I put in the time and I firmly believe anyone who wants to, anyone who has that drive, can do it. So this program is mainly for girls. I would say high school would be the oldest you take. If anyone came to you and said, you know, this is what I want to do professionally after I finish high school, what would you tell them? So I would tell them that whatever their plan was going forward, whether that's going to seminary or going to college or starting work right away and then doing things like that, I would help them develop a curriculum for themselves where they could be dancing all the time and training all the time to develop their technique. Because that's the by far the, the most crucial element to becoming any dance professional is how is your technique? How are you able to hold your turnout, balance, whatever it is, extensions, building your toolkit of what you have to become a great dancer, building that until it's super de duper strong that you're able to do any piece of choreography that's thrown your way. So once you get to that level, then, then you're able to 
find opportunities to perform. You're able to teach younger generations. You're able to then choreograph and get other dancers on board so that you can have a troupe that you can then go and inspire others and perform and basically build your business, whatever aspect of that, whether it's a dance company or a dance school or whichever area of business of the dance world you would like to be in performing. If I were single and not married and without three beautiful young children, I would be traveling the country and the world going to every single women's performance and performing and getting my name out there. Obviously I'm in a very different stage of life now for Hashem. I'm so happy. I love it. I love, I love my family life. I love my business. I'm Hashem. I'm so happy. But if I were someone young and I was, and I had really developed my toolkit of, of successful of dance and developed my choreography skills and developed my, my technique to the point where I felt like I was ready to go perform. That's, that's what I would do. I would be reaching out to every women's producer, every dance artist or artist showcase and all, all over the country. I would probably would be trying to connect with artists like yourself and different artists who like put out music videos and seeing if I can dance in those, try and really develop that skill set. But I will caveat that it has to be done with the first and foremost that they've developed a level of technique that is like on par with what would be the professional world out there bothers me a lot when I see from people who clearly have taken a few classes and would call themselves professionals and are like teaching other people because they have not developed the technique well enough in themselves to be able to then impart it correctly to their students. So developing that high, high level, professional level of technique is beyond important, not only for themselves, but for the entire from community to them gain from them. And I'm happy you brought this back. And I know you mentioned earlier when you were recruited to start teaching dance. You weren't sure if what to do about that. Was that more of you got a certain amount of training, so now you're automatically a teacher? Because I know in some fields that's enough. Other fields you have to actually, like teaching in general, <laughs> you have to go and get a degree in teaching. You're right. actually learning pedagogy. Right. Yes. And I, we joke about it, us dancers joke about it all the time because just because you're a good dancer does not mean that you are going to be a good teacher. And, and I say I that think, about piano and guitar yes. and voice. 100%. Yeah. You need to have skills as a teacher to be a good teacher. And I do think that when I first started, especially, I really did not have any teaching training or teaching experience at all. And I definitely was not a great teacher. Like Baruch Hashem, over the course of five years, I've become so much better. I also did a lot of work on it. I went and I observed classes, both in the Jewish school, how people teach, and also in the secular world. I would go to a dance studio locally where I took class and go watch their kids' class and see how how they handled things. I'm constantly, constantly, constantly working on different strategies and they're like for young kids, older kids, things that have worked for me, things that I learn as I go. Cause I still go and take technique classes. Try, I try every week. So it, it is definitely not a, Oh, now that I'm a dancer, I should become a teacher. I ironically, now I get my best teachers from the musical theater program at a local university. That's actually been like my new place to get teachers because those music theater students, not only do they have fantastic training, but they're extremely expressive, warm, charismatic people who make for great teachers. So interesting. Wow. 
Alright, we have a little bit of time left and I'd love to touch on, on this topic. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsors. ShopDrop is an iPhone app that lists every sample sale in New York. So if you want to buy designer clothes without breaking the bank, go to your iPhone and download the ShopDrop app today. I would like to start with, I'm assuming you are making a good living from your business. However, we know in this industry, it's not always like that. I know with Rifka Nahari's interview, I assume that, of course, with such a professional level on product that she'd be able to cover her expenses and make a profit. However, she did say how it's extremely challenging. So I'd like to hear your experience in this. So it's an issue, no doubt about it. My husband, Baruch Hashem, is a fantastic businessman. I am certain that if I didn't have him being my like quote-unquote business manager from the beginning, I would be making zero money and I probably would have shut my doors already because I would have no funds to go year to year because it's very, very challenging, especially in a, in a community like Silver Spring where discretionary funds are very, very limited. So people don't have a lot of money, just like extra money after tuition, after mortgages to spend on dance classes. It's just a reality. And so when you're working with such limited funds within the community, you really have to work your program around theirs and like what they're capable of. So I've made choices in my business to keep it going. Like for example, like I know Rivka just opened up her own space, like a retail location when she's been running out of her basement for the past, you know, however many years. And like, that's amazing. And I spoke with her about it and like, that's incredible that it works for her and that, that the finances work for her in that regard. When I looked into doing that, because my program had grown to the point where I was ready for my own space, I looked into that opportunity and it, it does not work for my community or my business. The community couldn't cover those funds and the business couldn't afford to rent out a retail location. We would be in the red before we before we even like opened our doors. So we have to make choices. I rent out right now, I rent out hourly from the yeshiva of greater Washington, who so graciously allowed me two rooms that they currently don't use. They allowed me to turn them into dance studios. So I am able to rent from at an hourly rate, those rooms, and I'm not trying to cover all the overhead of having my own space. Right now, the program is in a big transition because the space that I was renting in Camp Mill no longer available to me this year. So that was a big, big problem that 50% of my classes didn't have a home starting in September. So I'm currently running them out of someone's house. Very small and not the best situation for sure for any business. But we have just bought a new house for ourselves. And part of the massive renovation that we're doing for this house will include a 425 square foot dance studio in the basement of this property. So at least like our future, like there is a home for the dance classes in Kendall in the future. But if I hadn't gotten the opportunity to build out that space in the basement, I really wouldn't know what the future of the program is. Because like you said, the finances are so scarce. It's a real problem in our, in our industry of what we do, that it's just to be able to make money on what we do is, it's just, 
it's a re- unfortunate reality. I don't really know the answer to that. As you speak, I'm actually thinking like, what's the difference? We just spoke to Devorah Schwartz and she's talking about her teaching, her vocal teaching business and speaking to Ariella Zaitlin or all these other. And now I'm thinking, I think the major difference is when people are paying for group classes, I think they expect to pay a lot less than they would for private classes. So, for example, if you're getting private piano or private vocal classes or private violin classes, you understand where you're expecting that you're going to pay a private class fee, which will be a lot more than a group class. And I think that's potentially the major difference between running group classes than private. Right. And also think about the overhead to your overhead to teach a voice class is basically probably only your babysitting because you're probably doing it in your house where you have already have a piano and everything else is like already set. So you're taking home whatever that person is handing you minus your babysitting costs. Whereas when I run my class, my overhead is not only my babysitting costs, it's the rent. It's the rent that's astronomical. It is gas to get to the dance studio there and back. And it's paying your teachers, teachers too. Like if you have teachers as well, my break even point for classes, my husband will not let me run classes that are losing money. He, he feels very strongly that if a class did, did not hit its break even point with enrollment, I have to cancel it. And it's, as, and it's so hard for me. I'm like, but girls will dance and it'll be so great. Like, and maybe we'll get more girls. And he is like, as in his business mindset, he, he sees like, is like, no, that's not good business practice. It and will so, eat like, you alive. It's true. It'll eat me up a hundred percent. And uh, just disclaimer there, I do not teach voice or piano or guitar at this point. Actually, I provide studio <laughs> services. That's the only thing I do on a private level. Other than but there are performing. plenty of people you but could recommend But that's exactly, voice. <laughs> absolutely. But that is their model, absolutely. And when I do teach a yoga class, for example, that, that would give me the idea of a dance class is, yeah, having a space where you could just fit a group into it. You know, you can't just do it in your living room. And ideally, they like mirrors and they like a bar. Right. So. Right. <laughs> and one of our goals for this new space in our new house is to monetize it when it's not being used for dance classes. So to get women's exercise classes in there in the mornings and get yoga classes there in the evenings and to make it a space that's available for a lot more women and girls to have movement opportunities, even if it's not a dance in this basement. So one, that'll be an aside, an opportunity, like another way that La Zuz is going to be giving to the community, but it's also going to be hopefully another way to offset the costs of building this dance studio in the basement. Well, sounds amazing. It was so fun having this conversation and really going in. I feel like we talked about a lot of cool different topics and it's fun because I feel like I get to build off of older interviews and get more information on this field and and get different experiences from the schools and programs out there. And it's just fascinating. And it's amazing. It's just incredible to see so many women. And right now I was talking to someone, I can't book new episodes until December because we're all booked up. And it's just there is when I started the show, I I thought, you know, I'd run out of people to interview. And it's just the opposite. I just with every interview, I meet another five, 10 women that would totally love to have. It's just incredible how many women are going into this, knowing that this is not going to make them rich. So that's (laughs) what's mind boggling for me. 
mm-hmm. and just call it a vote because there's so much passion and especially when it comes with an element of education and positive modeling for the newer generation of young mm-hmm. girls who need empowerment and need to see positive modeling in a world where faces of women and names of women are being erased. So we have mm-hmm. this other end, the other side of women fighting and sacrificing to build these opportunities for girl empowerment, women empowerment, and showing them role models of women who are really following their passion and building themselves up and creating 100%. space for their voices, their the movement, for their expression. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And you are doing more than your part, Francis. You really are. This is that, this is, it's so incredible, this podcast. And I hope like you really are reaching the people who need to hear it. I'm blushing as you say this because I wake up every morning feeling this is not enough. I'm not going fast enough. I can't. Oh my gosh, you are doing so much. (laughs) Thank you. It means so much. much. (laughs) I'd love to collaborate with you as you mentioned earlier, how you'd love opportunities of combining and creating new content. I'm always, always open to opportunities. I know time is of the essence. Time, yeah, always time. (laughs) It's one of our... biggest a hundred percent well thank you so much i really appreciate it and we will we will for sure be in touch with more collaborative opportunities absolutely and i love when you reach out and when you have ideas and i know we don't talk so often but thank you so much for coming on the show this was so fun good luck with everything you do thank you and you as well And as always, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show. And if you aren't on iTunes, go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. This helps us tremendously. It helps new people find the show thanks to your reviews. So thank you so much for being such an integral part of growing this show. See you next time.